It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster. Bolster is a marketplace for on-demand executive and board talent for startups that was launched in April of 2020. Matt was chairman and CEO of ReturnPath, the company he founded in 1999 until its sale to Validity in 2019. ReturnPath was the market leader in email optimization, helping thousands of businesses use the email channel more effectively to promote and protect their brands and winning numerous employer of choice awards, including number two on Fortune's Magazine Best Companies to Work For list. Prior to founding ReturnPath, Matt was founder and general manager of the internet division of MoviePhone until the company's acquisition by AOL and had previously worked in venture capital and management consulting. Matt has been recognized as one of New York City's 100 Most Influential Technology Leaders by Business Insider, by Cranes as one of New York's top entrepreneurs, and by Ernst & Young as an Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Matt attended Princeton University, where he graduated summa cum laude with an A.B. in Urban Planning in 1992. Matt Blumberg, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you here. We talked about a month or so ago, and I'm sure as lots happened in the talent world as with you as with me. And I want to hear all about Bolster in a minute, but we always like to kind of start at the beginning and hear a little bit about our CEO guest early life. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and what that early family life was like. Uh, yeah, I grew up in San Diego, California, which uh, is uh, just about the nicest city uh, you can imagine. We share uh, that in common. I, I think we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> beautiful and, uh, place. It is a beautiful place. Uh, I, I love it out there. My parents are still there, so I get to go visit pretty nice. regularly. Nice. Uh, and um, I was—I uh, have one brother. I was an only child until I was 10. So I have okay. one brother who's a full decade younger than me. Wow. Okay. Uh, and uh, he and I didn't really end up uh, you know, being close until he uh, moved to the East Coast for college. He actually moved to New York City when I was living in New York City. Ah, cool. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, pretty middle of the middle of the fairway upbringing. What did, what did mom and dad do? Or what, what, dad, what brought dad to San Diego? Or did he grow up there as well? Yeah, uh, no, he did not. And I was actually born in Manhattan, but we moved out right. to, to California when I was two. So I think of right. that as home. Uh, and uh, his work took him out there. He was um, very, very early in the venture capital business. Oh, God. And uh, cool. he'd been working at a firm in New York. Uh, and uh, the one of the partners that he worked for split off and moved to La Jolla, California and started a new firm. And Love it. Uh, Love it. my parents thought that would be a nice place to raise a family. And they were right. 
Yeah. And you, did you go to La Jolla High? Did you grow up in the confines? I didn't. Or? I didn't. Yeah. We didn't move. We, my parents live in La Jolla now, but when I uh, was growing up, we lived uh, near San Diego State. Right. Uh, right. So it's sort of East County. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, what were some of those early memories of growing up? You know, anything from dad uh, that, you know, maybe gave you that entrepreneurial streak that obviously you pursued for a few years or, you know, some of those early memories of, of you know, things about his career? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, both both my parents were great role models in, in very different ways. And um, my dad's career took him from venture capital into entrepreneurship. So he actually oh, cool. started a company when I was about uh, 10 or 11. And, um, and I remember, I remember, I remember a little bit about when he was a venture capitalist, because he periodically would, would get an interim, uh, you know, sort of emergency CEO assignment. Um, and I remember some of those, but then I really remember when he started, uh, his company and, uh, and sort of paying attention to that. And, um, you know, both my uh, grandfathers were entrepreneurs as well. So I I think it's, I think it's probably kind of. (laughs) <laughs> Always been in the blood a little bit, yeah. Awesome. And what about mom? Did she work from the home, or did she help dad out in the entrepreneurial um, No, she she never worked with him. Um, she, uh, you know, she was she was a mom, and then uh, periodically did something. So she had been an elementary school teacher. Right. Uh, then she did real estate for a little while. She did interior design and kind of started her own thing around that. Uh, so, uh, and then had her other son 10 years later. So yeah, exactly. Had to start all, had to start all over again. (laughs) Well, that's a nice break anyway. What about school? Were you a good student? Yeah, I was kind of a geek. (laughs) (laughs) What what were your favorite subjects? I really gravitated in, in high school to, uh, history, um, economics, Hmm. uh, politics and government. Uh, I had a couple of, of phenomenal teachers, that were real role models for me, actually a yeah. married couple that I had each of them several times uh, in all of those subjects. What were some of the lessons and things that you remember from their teachings? Well, one thing I certainly remember was not to take yourself too seriously. <laughs> That's a good lesson to learn early on. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think uh, with both of them, they always taught whatever subject they were teaching with a real eye toward current events and, and what was happening mm. in the world and how it related to what they were teaching. Um, and, uh, uh, and I, I think I probably learned from, you know, from them and from other teachers at my high school. Um, and, and it's certainly reinforced in college as well, the value of, uh, interdisciplinary learning, uh, you know, sort of combining subjects, uh, into a, into sort of a broader view of something. Yeah. Cool. What about outside activities? Are you involved in sports or chess club or music or anything like that? Um, well, I was a terrible athlete, but I, I tried it. I did it anyway. Um, I, I, I played uh, JV football in my high school and JV baseball. And I remember my uh, JV baseball coach um, said to me one day, well, you know, you might not get them with your batting average, but you'll get them with your grade point average. <laughs> well, that was good. Good counsel, uh, right? But <laughs> I, I, did, I did lots of things. I went to a, a really a fairly small high school. And, and uh, so there were lots of leadership opportunities. I worked yeah. on the newspaper. I ended up being the editor-in-chief of the newspaper. I nice. helped on the yearbook. I started a um, creative writing magazine. I started a community service organization. I did speech and debate, all, all kinds of things like that. Yeah, cool. Super cool. What about entrepreneurial things with, with, with that lineage of all those entrepreneurs in your past? Were there things that you did? you have the ubiquitous paper route or other things uh, as a kid to make money? 
I, you know, not really. Um, I I did some entrepreneurial things, you know, sort of in the context of school. Like I started a creative writing magazine and I started a, um, I think I started in senior year, a school store. Um, But, uh, but I didn't really do, uh, you know, I I wasn't one of those kids. It was like, oh, I got the lemonade stand and (laughs) cornered the market on lemons. Sold mistletoe at Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you went on to Princeton and, uh, that's a big, a big leap. Uh, I assume you were still living in the San Diego area. What, what made you choose uh, Princeton? I kind of always had a bug about going to uh, the East coast for college yeah. and trying yeah. something different. And, um, had you, you stayed know, connected there? I mean, did your family have relatives? Yeah. 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 Lots, and lots of, yeah. Lots of, uh, you know, grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles. Right. And, um, and, uh, and we used to come back and visit a lot. So it was kind of familiar territory, sure. but, right. um, you know, I was fortunate that, um, I did well in high school and, and, uh, was uh, able to get into, um, an Ivy league school. And that kind of made, made an easy decision for me. Great school. And you studied urban planning, I think, right? Is that what you got your degree in? I did. I did, which was um, purely a function of not being able to make up my mind in terms of what I wanted to study. Uh, it actually was not a major at Princeton. And I um, uh, I had a couple of different classes that I just loved. And, um, uh, you know, a couple of them were in civil engineering. Uh, a couple of them were in uh, politics. Uh, the public policy school at Princeton is very good. Right. Um, a couple of them were in architecture and art history. And I literally couldn't make up my mind about which one of those things I wanted to major in. So, um, I did what all good entrepreneurs do and I, I made my own. Uh, So I, I I applied to the school to create an independent major in urban planning. I grabbed faculty advisors from each of those departments and, and I had a a really wonderful cross-disciplinary experience. Awesome. What did you like best about Princeton? I had a great time in college. It's and, a wonderful school. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's obviously one of the top schools in in the country in the world. Um, I had a, a, but I had a great time. I, I left there with um, you know most of my good lifelong friends uh, from college. Um, but I, you know, I think the thing that was probably most valuable about Princeton for me, I don't know if I liked it the best, but it was certainly most valuable, is. Um, I've never felt so dumb and average in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you a know, lot of smart people, a lot of smart people. Right? So, yeah. so, you know, you show up on your first day and inevitably in some orientation session, someone says, okay, you know, raise your hand if you were number one or number two in your high school class and every hand, <laughs> everyone raised their hands. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, um, you know, I just, I, 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 uh, it really, I think it helped me, it helped take me down a bunch of pegs and yeah. it helped me, um, uh, I think that just paid dividends for years and, right. you know, uh, lots of other good things too, though. What was the first job you took out of Princeton? Uh, my first full-time job was uh, management consulting, strategy consulting. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I worked at a firm called, uh, Mercer management consulting, which is now called Oliver Wyman. Um, and, uh, it was a great first job. I always say that it's, it's a first job that I, that. I, I should have paid them for it because uh, although I worked many, 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 many hours, I worked very hard. I just learned a ton. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of great, great entry level um, business job. Any urban planning work there at all? Or was that never, not even, never. never. <laughs> that was never a thing. I, one, one <laughs> college summer um, I worked at uh, in a real estate consulting group, uh, right. part of Swaterhouse actually. And that was kind of the closest thing I did to, 
to uh, urban planning, although even that was not really urban planning. So that, that was more of a more of an academic interest than a professional one. And you didn't really pursue any other real estate uh, no. avenue, I think, during your career. So no, did you no, kind of no. determine you didn't like it? No, it's just I, I never really approached my education as uh, vocational training. Right. Um, and you know, part of that is, you know, you go to a liberal arts school and unless you're interested in being an academic and you happen to love the field you're in and want to go for your PhD and teach and write, um, you sort of, you know, you, you take what you love and then you go do something else afterwards. You said Mercer was a tremendous place to start. What what were some of the key lessons you took away in those first couple of years of work? Um, well, you know, I, I think, and I tell this to, um, early career people all the time, I think the, your first couple jobs, half of what you're doing is learning how to work uh, and, and how yeah. to be a professional. And one, one of the great things about working at, in management consulting, and I think it's true of other service industries as well, is you really get schooled in how to be a professional in a hurry. Um, and it's everything from, you know, how to dress and how to answer the phone and how to, you know, how to write a, uh, you know, a good deck and how to deliver um, a presentation, how to communicate how how to analyze a problem i mean it's just a, a constant stream of learning right um and uh, and that's really what i appreciated about about that first job yeah yeah did you manage people in that assignment or that no community? yeah no no I, mean, I was you know kind of junior junior guy there what was the first job that you had when you first started managing people um so it was my third job so i, I worked in consulting for a couple of years and then i worked in venture capital for a couple of years which was also oh. you know interesting part of the journey um, but you know, same junior, junior person, individual contributor. Um, and, uh, then I, uh, I went to work, um, at a company called movie phone. Movie which, phone. Yeah, uh, sure. Remember you know, some people may remember if they've oh, been yeah. around for a while. Uh, it was <laughs> We're dating I, ourselves though. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. For, for sure. Um, when I joined movie phone, it was 1995 and uh, movie phone was a small cap public company, uh, that I always say it was sort of the internet before the internet. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, it was an interactive telephone service before there was really a, a World Wide Web. Uh, and um, uh, I, I went there um, thinking I would do it for a year and get some sort of operating experience. Like I had been a consultant, I had been an investor. Um, and then the plan was to go to business school. And I sort of got swept up in the in the dot com, you know, Internet 1.0 tornado right. Right. Um, right. and never went to business school. So I, yeah. I was at Movie Phone. I was running there, the, uh, you know, sort of started and and ran the online business for the company. Uh, and, uh, you know, every year, 95, 96, 97, 98, it just got more and more interesting, bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things looking back on my career that I, you know, I sort of feel very fortunate that, um, you know, I woke up one day at age 24 or 25 and I was like, I was running a top 50 web property yeah. at a time when no one knew what that meant. T- tell our listeners what movie, movie phone did, because many yeah. of them probably have never even heard of it. Yeah, that's probably right. So, um, so movie phone. Uh, so, if you, if you wind the, the, if you go back in the way back machine, back in the last century, yeah, back say. in the last century, back to the uh, 1980s <laughs> the and winding, early 1990s, <laughs> um, the way that you uh, uh, found out what movies were playing, where and when, was you had two choices: you could buy a newspaper, yeah. um, or you could call an individual theater and you know invariably get a busy signal. Right. Um, and there was uh, the only way to buy a movie ticket ahead of time was to walk to the theater ahead yeah. of time. 
you know, there are people listening. They're going, oh my God, are you kidding me? Is right, that right, really? right. <laughs> right. And then they're saying, say, wait, how old are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so movie phones, innovation. And again, I didn't start the company. There were some very talented entrepreneurs who, who had this idea of creating a branded centralized phone number for each city uh, with an interactive touchtone movie guide and advanced yeah. ticketing service. And yeah. uh, that's why I say it was the internet before the internet. It was ad supported you know, e-commerce, uh, you know, data. I remember using it, I, you know, calling in and then, you know, finding what's funny, mm-hmm. ordering the tickets online, you know, yeah. on the phone, right? Yeah, exactly. Just on the yeah. phone. So yeah. anyway, I was very, again, for sort of fortunate and, and lucky in my timing that I joined um, just, just at the dawn of the internet and um, no one really knew what to do with me. I sort of convinced the CEO to hire me for a year um, because I was, you know, allegedly smart. Um, and, but I didn't have any experience. I had been a consultant and an investor and, you know, he and his, his partner, uh, you know, both of whom have ended up being, you know, good long-term friends, you know, basically they had lunch with me and they're like, all right, look, you know, we, we can see that you're a smart person with some good general skills. We don't really know what to do with you, but we'll (laughs) throw you in and see how it goes. Um, and the first project I had was figure out what the internet is. Um, wow. and figure out what we should do with it. And then that yeah. is sort of- Because it was just breaking. This was late yeah. 98, yeah, early, early, yeah. No, this was early 95. Early 95, yeah. So yeah. every, and then everything sort of went from there. Yeah, cool. And, and uh, that first time you started managing people, in what capacity? Was that um, managing marketing for them or product development or what was your responsibilities? Yeah, so I, I went from, I started there as an individual contributor, yeah. uh, you know, sort of special projects guy. And then when we decided that we were going to build a website, I kind of managed that project, but I, I wasn't really managing people. Right. Um, and then once the website was live, I got put in charge of the of the web business and the website. And then I got, I sort of got one direct report. And then, and I feel so bad for her, um, poor Alyssa Robinson, looking back on it. I was just, <laughs> I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. No one was teaching me how to manage. Sure. Uh, I had not good management role models ahead of time. I think I probably drove her nuts. Um, and then, uh, you know, I consider um, the next thing that happened in my kind of management career, a very lucky thing, which is the business was growing so quickly that I went from having one direct report to getting a promotion. And, uh, you know, we sort of centralized the internet operations. And then all of a sudden I had 30 people on my team. There wow. was no intermediate step. Like I didn't wow. go one, two, five, six, seven. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, yeah, I mean, so I was forced to behave differently as a manager because I could micromanage one person yeah. If she's listening, I apologize to her. We'll send it to her. Uh, but you can't micromanage 30 people. So I was no kind way. of forced to reevaluate how, uh, how I how managed. How did you do that? Did you just seek some outside help, Matt? Or, you know, were there mentors that guided you along? How, how did you, you know, take that huge, you know, literally incremental, not an incremental, but a huge step change in management responsibilities? Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I did not really have great management mentors Mm-hmm. Um, I had great sort of skill mentors, competency mentors, yeah. but management and leadership were, were not among them. Um, so I feel like a lot of what I did at movie phone and kind of learned at movie phone was a little bit self-taught, you know, maybe observation. I, I definitely, you know, read like crazy and, you know, read a lot of business books and business journals. Right. Right. Um, but I feel like the management and leadership part was a little bit more, you know, sort of DIY or observation than trial by error. Than actually yeah. mentoring, yes, it's trial by lots of errors. Yeah, yeah, 
Got it. All right. And then, um, gosh, you spent the next couple of decades uh, with Return Path. So, so tell us a little bit about the kind of the impetus around founding that, right? And then, you know, growing that business for the better part of 20 years. Yeah. I, um, uh, so I, I had this great run at Movie Phone for about four and a half years. We, uh, you know, dot com 1.0, uh, we sold the, the company, the whole company, the internet part and the telephone part to AOL at nice. really at the peak of the, the dot-com frenzy nice. um, back when and AOL is another one that's going to date both of us, yeah. but um, you know, that <laughs> people, when people have to think about what it, it's that, like, stand that, for? that was right. That was, that was the Google of its day. That's right. Yeah. Um, at, at that time. And, and um, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to stay and be part of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the very large the big uh, machine. machine of AOL. Yeah. And I felt like I had just had this experience of, of building a business inside of another company for five years, which is about as good a training ground as you can get for right. starting your own business. Um, so I had a lot of energy around starting something and, and really had a passion around uh, culture uh, and, um, and leadership and management. And mm. uh, I, I looked around and I saw so many businesses that were uh, successful businesses, but the, that really didn't didn't treat their employees particularly well and didn't get the most out of their employees as a result. Hmm. And, you know, I sort of, I compared it to like, Hey, you know, all these companies that are running knowledge economy businesses, but they're managing their workforce the same way that uh, you'd manage, you know, the factory floor in the 1800s. Right. Um, they didn't trust their employees. They micromanaged them. Hmm. They policied them to death. Um, and um uh, a big part of why I wanted to start a business was I wanted to do that stuff differently. And, and I always joke that, uh, I mean, I loved return path and I think we had a great business. And I, I can talk about that in a second, but I always joke that, that the company could have done anything, uh, but that, that a huge part of it was, um, you know, sort of a laboratory for, for me, for, um, for management and leadership and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, uh, with a couple of co-founders settling on, um, uh, on solving a, a a business problem or a couple of business problems in, in commercial email, which again was just starting to take off and kind right. of late, late nineties. Right. Uh, and, um, I, and we built a big business over 20 years. It was you know, hundred million in revenue. We had about 4,000 customers worldwide and really helped a lot of clients, uh, solve, uh, problems related to email, email delivery right. and, uh, and, uh, email data and analytics. Were your co-founders from Movie Phone, or were there folks that you knew from Princeton, or just developed? No, no, actually, neither, neither one. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of fr- friend, friend of friend kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one there was one co-founder, Jack, who's um, uh, you know a current co-founder at Bolster as well. And then our other uh, co-founder, the person we call co-founder, started a competing business around the same time that we started uh, Return Path, and then we ended up merging the companies pretty early on. So right. the, the, uh, the three of us were the, the founders there. And you eventually sold the company. I think that's why you moved on. And we'll, we'll, I want to get to the, the bolster transition in a moment. But, you did, um, yeah. but before you actually had that transaction, how big was the company? What, you know, in terms of employees and approximate sales and yeah, the, customers the- you served? Revenue was about a hundred million. Uh, I think we, we maxed out at about 500 employees. Uh, we had 12 offices around the world, a bunch of international offices. Um, so pretty, pretty reasonable scale for a a startup. Yeah. Did you think about going public at some point in time or or was it always, yeah. 
Yeah, we did a couple of times when, when uh, you know, Mark. I mean, you started in December of 99, right? I mean, you know, yeah. it was, yeah, it's literally that 2.0 period of, of the year. We started in December of 99 and people were telling us to go public in March of 2000. Yeah, right. You know, which was crazy and right. uh, obviously um, not, not a sustainable way for public markets to behave. Um, so we did we did uh, think about that and and kind of cultivate a lot of the um, things that you needed to do to be public over the years, but ultimately it was never really the right decision for the business. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, running a public company is tough. Running a um, a public company that is you know less than a few hundred million in revenue is yeah. really tough. Yeah. And uh, the stars really have to align for that to make sense, and it, it never quite made sense for us. Right. Right. So tell us about the decision to sell. Did that come out of the blue or was it a partner? The Validity, I think, called, that bought you, right, in the end? Or yeah, that, that, that's the, the name of the company uh, that acquired us. Right. Um, and uh, we, 20 years is a really long time to, yeah. run, a tech, to run a tech startup, a venture-backed yeah. tech startup. And So you we were, were private equity owned? You were, you were PE? We were venture capital venture owned. Capital yeah. owned. Got it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, we out we actually outlasted some of our our funds that invested in us, and um, it was time. It, it quite frankly, it had probably been time for several years. We had a we had a couple of almost uh, transactions along the way, and um, uh, but it, it was it was sort of obvious to everyone that the company um, needed to go through another pretty dramatic transformation. Yeah. Uh, and and that either involved getting a uh, you know a huge new capital infusion or doing a bunch of M and A, or uh, or finding a new home for the business, and that was yeah. sort of the, the calculus. Was it hard to give up your baby? You know, not as much as you would think. I mean, he was twenty years old by then. I mean, by that time, right. he should have been right. <laughs> I mean, I, from the household. <laughs> I, exactly. I think part of it is that it had been twenty years. Um, yeah, and. Uh, and, and I was ready to go do something new. A bunch, sure. of, a bunch of us were ready to go do something new. Um, and and part of it was, uh, you know, it was pretty intentional. Like we had been, because we had had a couple of almost uh, sales of the business over the years, um, uh, I had really gotten my head around that. And uh, I had seen lots of entrepreneurs go through the sale of their business and some handled it well and some didn't handle it well. And um, I, have a, I have a CEO forum. It's a group of six of us. Um, right. That uh, that do sort of you know peer peer group and peer counseling and had heard just so many stories from them over the years that um, I was uh, I was really able to um, to disconnect after we sold the business. I think my um, my uh, leadership team and I did a good job, and I and I'll give the the guys at Validity who acquired the company really gave us a free hand in in sort of wrapping things up in a way that uh, th- that gave us all closure. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were able to. Uh, you know, say thank you to all of our uh, employees uh, and colleagues who had worked uh, so hard with us over the years. We were able to really, uh, you know, sort of wrap, wrap things up nicely. Um, we yeah. called it the baton pass. Right. Uh, right. And, uh, uh, and that, I think, all helped with the transition. So you, you, you took a breath for about six minutes and then uh, you went into a new startup and, and decided to launch it right at the beginning of the pandemic. So tell us a little bit about Polster and how that came about. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if I had another one in me. Yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about all kinds of, of career options. And, um, the most important thing for me, uh, was, you know, I made my list of like, what must be true about the next thing I do. And there were 10 things on it. And the, the far and away, the most important one was I really wanted to work with 
great people and and not just great people. I wanted to work with the people that I wanted to work with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as clients, uh, as employees, as as well, in particular as as employees and as investors. Yeah, right. Um, and so. You know, in some respects, I never stopped talking to the same group of people. So there was, uh, you know, a, a sort of a core group of my uh, colleagues from Return Path, and then my core investors from Return Path, and uh, just kept ideating with them and and thinking about, um, you know, different uh, different things we could do, uh, whether it was going into an existing business or starting a new business, and um, uh, uh, and we got we got very excited about the space that we're in now at Bolster. Um, which was kind of a combination of things. First of all, we, we were very adamant, or at least I was very adamant. I did not want to do something else related to the last thing, like 20 years right. of digital marketing, ad tech, MarTech, email technology yeah, was, yeah. was, was more than enough for a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and really wanted a kind of a new, new challenge and, and a new problem space. And the things that got me excited and that got our, our founding team excited um, were in and around um, talent and culture, um, which had always been sort of a, a, a driving force for us at um, at, at Return Path, um, but also really wanting to do something in the startup ecosystem. And um, you know, as as Return Path grew and as we got more experienced and tenure and senior in our roles, um, we all spent more and more time mentoring um, other people. Yeah. Uh, so whether it was formal mentor programs uh, like Techstars and other accelerators or just our, our VCs asking me and asking us periodically like, hey, could you go talk to so-and-so in the portfolio? They're, they're running into some problem that they've never seen before and I know you've seen before. Um, we, uh, we really kind of uh, you know, enjoyed that uh, aspect of the yeah. job and we kind of wove a whole bunch of themes together into, uh, into Bolster. Um, we started working on it, obviously, before the pandemic. Uh, right, right. Our founding date was April 1 of 2020. So the, you know, the pandemic was only a few weeks right. um, old in the U.S. at that point and a couple months overall. And, um, you know, I think looking back on it, and, and I even said this at the time, um, I felt like 2020 was a really good year to start a business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason why, although the world was in chaos, right, those first few months of the pandemic, um, the uh, you know when you start a business, all you're doing you're just heads down building. For That's a right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it was a, it was as good a time as any to be heads down and building and not. And there weren't worrying. a lot of distractions. Yeah, to go not out. a lot of distractions. <laughs> you weren't going I, to movies. We weren't going out to concerts or anything else. Yeah. Well, you know, you didn't have any customers to worry. <laughs> you didn't about. have any customers to worry about either, right? You didn't yeah. have employees to worry about. You didn't have yeah. a PL to yeah. worry about. So, right. um, so uh, well, yeah, tell so us that, a little bit about the model. What what is it that uh, you folks do? Yeah. So we. Um, you know, we sort of look at the way that uh, startups and growth stage companies uh, access executive talent. And I know you're in the recruiting business yeah. as well, although I think you have a different customer set that you focus on. But we sort of look at the, at the world of startups and executive talent and feel like there, there are a few uh, norms that don't really make sense. Yeah, uh, very inefficient. Yeah. One is... Uh, um, that startups don't have a lot of money and right. uh, but they need a lot of help. Yeah. So the model, the traditional model of like, oh, I got to hire a full-time senior executive for every functional department doesn't really work for startups. Yeah. The second thing is, again, sort of back to money and also time, um, using a retained search firm doesn't always work for startups because right. yeah. the process takes a long time and it costs a lot of money to yeah. things that startups don't yeah. have. Um, and then finally, the, and I have my share of stock certificates. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. 
Most um, recruiters do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, finally, the um, the other thing that kind of doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense for startups is um, they when they need help with something, they kind of they email their board, their VC, yeah. a couple of friends, right. and they sort of get what they get. Like, yeah, right. says, oh, I know a guy that can do that for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, none of those Very things. Very incestual. <laughs> it, no, exactly. None of those yeah. things um, point to comprehensive. They don't right. point to diverse. They don't point to Best cost efficient. They don't point to agile. Yeah, uh, right. and, and that's really what startups need. So what we've, um, what we've built in our, in our building is, uh, is a talent marketplace. So it's an online marketplace. It works you know, the same way that other online marketplaces work, whether yeah. it's, uh, you know, Airbnb or, or uh, uh, you know, or, or Goat. <laughs> um, but the thing that you can find as a, um, you know, as a CEO or as a, as a hiring manager is access to senior executives. Yeah, great. Um, and when you find them on Bolster, um, you can find them for all sorts of different uses. You can find yeah. someone for a full-time job, yeah. um, but you can also find someone to be a mentor or a coach fractional uh, project. You can find based. someone exactly to do a project yeah. for you, to no, be a, a part-time executive, uh, to be, you can find someone to do a free 30 minute um, jam session about something. So yeah. there's sort of, um, uh, you know, a, a Swiss army knife of yeah. use. No, that's great. And that's really it. what we've tried to build into the platform. And is, is compensation uh, also flexible with regards to cash or stock or equity? And then, yeah, I mean, we're a marketplace. Can, so yeah, we, right. we, we, we don't set, the compensation, we match the buyer and the seller. Um, right. But yes, right. people, you know, we've, we've done a, a few hundred placements at this point and um, people have been hired under any model you can think of from hourly yeah. to retainer to actual salary to equity only to all sorts of uh, combinations. And do both pay a bolster a fee to participate in the marketplace? or uh, it's, it's free for executives. It's free right. to be in the marketplace, whether right. you're a buyer or a seller. The only people that pay us are clients when they hire someone through the us. buyers. Yeah, yeah, cool. And how many employees today? Um, we have about thirty. Yeah, awesome. And yeah. national, international, regional. Where, where, what's your score? Um, you know, with well, a minute, you have something, something, something. dot com. You're yeah. global. Um, <laughs> our, our our team is all U.S. based uh, or largely U.S. based, yeah. and, and our business is really U.S. focused. But um, we have plenty of members and clients outside the U.S., and yeah. we match people outside the U.S. who just don't. We don't. Uh, spent a lot of time cultivating that audience at this point. Great idea. I, I, I have to say, I mean, you've really identified a need because, you know, I, I've seen that. I, I shy away from startups. I, I work with the middle markets. I, I had a Goldilocks experience. I did startups. I did enterprise companies that did middle market. And I ended up, you know, liking the chair that I sat in with middle market companies. But one of the biggest frustrations was with startups, you know, you wanted to help them so bad, but they couldn't pay you. And, right. you know, the stock right. certificates pile up and, That's for you know, sure. The, the, the opportunity for their success is, is relatively low and, you know, you've really got to have that long-term commitment. So I've got yeah. to applaud it. Fantastic. Well, we, we have kind of a, we have a, a different model for working with really early stage companies than we do with later stage companies. Um, you know, I think later stage companies, you can call them a startup, but once someone's raised 10, $20 million and yeah. they have, uh, you know, they have a management team and a board and VCs, um, they may look a little bit more like a middle market company. Right. Right. Um, with very early stage companies, we actually created a, a program called Bolster Prime that uh, provides them with mentors on demand. Very yes. specifically, it's not about you know hiring full time execs; it's, yeah. it's mentorship yeah. on demand. And 
And for that, they do pay us with a mix of cash and equity. So we're, we're adding some stock certificates as well, but um, <laughs> be careful it, there. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the only way we get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, excellent, Matt. Love it. Well, uh, talk a little bit about your leadership. How, you know, how, how would you say it's shifted now? Are you running things differently, particularly given that it's a pandemic launch business, but you know, would you say your style is modified and so how over the years? Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my style has, uh, has certainly evolved a, a lot over the, over the course of a, a 30 year career or a, whatever, 25 years of, of managing people. Um, you know, I think I probably started off being what you would call a pace setter, right. Of just out right. in front and running as fast as I can and dragging right. everyone with me. Um, I think, uh, uh, I think that gave way to more of a consensus approach, which has some real positives, but also some real negatives. And then I think I learned from that to be generally more collaborative, which is probably my my more of my comfort zone now is sort of that, yeah. that uh, collaborative as opposed to anything else. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned over time is, is actually great leaders um, are capable of um, of showing lots of different styles at different times, depending on what the organization needs and what the people around them need. Mm, um, so and um, I, I, I wrote a blog post years ago called Management by Chameleon. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's some real truth to it. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, you, I, I have people, people on my team who need to be managed and led differently from other people on the team. And you have to meet, meet people where they are. Yeah. Um, but then the organization also has different needs. You know, if you if you look at the the um, you know Ben Horowitz's great book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is I, I think my favorite um, uh, business book or certainly favorite startup book. Um, you know, the, sometimes your business is at peace and sometimes it's at war. Right. And the best peacetime generals or, or leaders are very different from the best yeah. wartime leaders. Right. Right. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at Bolster? You know, we we have a small team, so uh, and we're not we're not adding to it very rapidly, so we're able yeah. to be very picky. Um, and these know, are these are people from Return Path, I presume. There, there are a lot of them. I mean, there, we so yeah. we have eight founders, right? Um, yeah. And um, you know, we we kind of organized ourselves as a founding team of like, all right, we had all worked together for a bunch of years and wanted to continue to work together, um, and. Uh, you know, when and some of the other people in the organization worked at Return Path, but many of them didn't, and um, uh, and it's it that's important to us as well as to you know find um, new perspectives and new experience sets to bring into the organization. Um, and I think you know when we're when we're looking at at bringing new people on, um, you know we uh, uh, sort of first and foremost want to make sure that that we're hiring people who not just are smart. Uh, but who have real intellectual curiosity hmm. um, that, you know, they're humble enough to know that they don't know everything. Right. Um, and they always want to know more and they always want to ask the question of why. Hmm. Um, so that, that's something we look for. There's another one, quite frankly, this is going to sound very basic, but when, you know, when we're interviewing someone, we want to make sure that they've done their homework and that they come with a point of view. Right. Um, you know, our business is not hard to understand. We're not, we're not inventing, you know, cold fusion. Um, you know, we're in the, we're in the people business, the talent business, the yeah. job business, everyone understands that. And, uh, you know, if someone shows up for an interview with us, whether they're interviewing for, um, you know, an accounting position or, uh, you know, a product position, uh, or any position, they should have a point of view about what we do and right. why it's interesting to them and right. why it's not interesting to them. And I, I felt that way at return path as well, that, you know, if you're going to try for a job somewhere, um, do your homework, understand yeah. what, what goes on there. 
Well, an alignment to culture is so important, you know, I think for both parties. One, the interviewer has to know their company culture and what to look for. But, you know, the interviewee sure. should also have a pretty good feel for the type of culture they want to work in and be able to ask those kind of questions to determine if it's the right place. Yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah, and you I, talk I, about I always, when I interview people, I always give them half the time to ask me questions. Yeah, and yeah. It's, a, it's a red flag when they can't fill it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you have, uh, I mean, if you, you guys have a... Uh, a pretty good handle on culture. You talk about collaborativeness and cooperative, you know, do you have a, a, either a mission statement or a value statement that you guys uh, we, we, yeah, we We sure do. We're, we are yeah. in fact kind of obsessed with that. And, um, uh, and, and we were at return path as well. We had a very strong values driven culture at return mm-hmm. path. And the one here is, you know, it's, it has, it has some things in common. We're the same humans and usually right. humans don't change their values overnight, but, um, but we express them differently. And, and I think more simply, uh, but yeah, it was actually one of the first things our founding team did was stake out um, four core values and then uh, four what we call operating principles. Right. And those really drive um, those really drive how we work and how we make decisions. And uh, they're very public on our website, and um, you know we train people on them, and and we weave them into uh, the fabric of um, of our business and of our work. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that is just front and center for us. Awesome, cool. Well, Matt, we're just about out of time, but we always ask, like to ask our CEO guests, what kind of, you know, career and life advice would you give someone that maybe like yourself wants to found their own company someday and, and create their own, you know, corner office? So I think I would say two things. And one of them is really tactical. And then one of them is more meaningful, but they're both important. Um, the first thing is, uh, I would say, learn how to write code. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I think that's tr- that that no matter what you do. And and I I'm yeah. not a coder. Uh although I did learn when I was a kid um how to program, you know, a, a, one of the really early PCs in basic and advanced basic. Uh-huh. Um and maybe I did Fortran bit. cards at San Diego yeah. State, but that <laughs> I think learning how to write code is really important because I mean the world, you know, Mark Andreessen says software is eating the world. That's and right. even if you don't write code for a living, having a good understanding of code and how code works um, is, uh, I think it's just critical for, yeah. for running a business. So that's sort of my tactical one. Um, but uh, you know, my, my advice that I would give, um, you know, sort of my, my younger self is to be as kind and as helpful as mm. you can to as many people as mm. you can, yeah. uh, early and throughout your career. Yeah. Yeah. Comes back, doesn't it? I mean, so there's a selfish end to it. Yes, it, yeah. it comes back to you. Um, but it's also just, it's just the right a, thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And it's a kind <laughs> yeah. of a satisfying way to go through life. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.